Hey, I'm Dustin. And I'm Steve. Welcome back, listeners, to the finest phototainment in the world. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Wedding Photo Hangover podcast, a reverent look at wedding photography. This podcast, like aspirin, will help you recover from your wedding hangover. We have a super cool episode today. Dustin, do you want to tell uh, do you want to tell our listeners who we have on the podcast with us right now? I would love to introduce with the utmost excitement. We have the famous, the celebrity, the uh, probably one of the most well-known individuals in podcasting history, uh, <laughs> Nathan Holeritz. In case you don't already know this incredible man, here are a few places you may have seen or heard of him. He is both the founder and CEO of Photographer's Edit and the beautiful voice behind the world-renowned Boca podcast, one of my personal favorite podcasts. Wait, and you listen to podcasts now? Just the Boca podcast. That's the only one. That's actually, that's actually true. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> and uh, I just discovered, little did I know, that he has a new podcast. I don't know if this is public knowledge yet or... The, you it's know. got five episodes out. It's public. Okay. He has a new podcast called A Love Portrait. Love that name, by the way. Um, a podcast built on exploring the vast world of relationships. And he is a little known Wolverine impersonator. So, uh, so I'd, like to, I'd like to welcome you to the show, Nathan. Thank you so much uh, for taking some time to sit down and uh, be with the polar opposite of the uh, Boca podcast. 100%. Um, it, yeah, it feels like a bit of an adventure. I don't know where we're going to go with this, but I'm, I, I was telling you guys before we started recording, I'm excited to do something totally different. And maybe in, in a sense, go outside my comfort zone a little bit. So I, I love the, the humor that you all bring to the wedding hangover. And uh, it is kind of the antithesis of what we do at Boca. But um, for that reason, I, I have mad respect for both of you. Oh, thank you so much. That is very, that is probably too kind of you. <laughs> so wh where are you coming from today? Where, because I, from uh, my follows of you, uh, because I stalk you, is uh, that you are quite the traveler. It always seems like you're in Arizona, California. Obviously, your home base is in Chattanooga, and you're kind of just all over the place. And I am all over the place. I mean, in travels and mentally and otherwise, I feel like <laughs> I'm all over the place a lot of the time, actually. But um, yeah, I'm currently in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And honestly, that's where I spend most of my time. I do get to travel from time to time for the sake of Photographer's Edit. And, um, and occasionally during those travels, get to even do some in-person interviews for, for Boca. I actually grew up in Japan. So I spent about 10 years of my life, a lot of my childhood in Japan. But I've mm -hmm. Was born in Indiana. I've lived in Washington State, Georgia, and now Tennessee as well. You were born where? In Back Indiana. that up. Yeah. Wow. Kokomo. Wow. So technically, I guess that would make you a great Indiana man? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> Actually, Kokomo is this tiny little town outside of about an hour north of Indy. And yep. um, it's apparently home to author of, the, of Clifford the Big Red Dog. So that's my tiny little mm -hmm. claim to fame with my... Uh, I, I don't know. There, there probably isn't even, there might be 50,000 people, probably not even that in the little town of Kokomo. But you know what they do have? A great brewery called Tin Man Brewing Company. Mm -hmm. Are you I serious? was just there like two weeks ago. Yeah. No it's way. It's awesome. I had no idea. That's really cool. I, I lived so there for all of two years when I was, you know, about this big and um, I since haven't lived there. So I'd, I'd love to go back and spend a little more time. Yeah. Watch out Clifford. 
They now have a brewery. <laughs> Could I you prefer imagine... the brewery to the child's books, I'm just going to say. Well, but what, what would happen if you combine the two? Like, what would Clifford the Big Red Dog, slightly inebriated, look like? Or, or they just need to rebrand with some Big Red Dog-themed beers. Like, this is the Big Red Ale. This is, you know, they could really do a couple of unique spinoffs with that. That's brilliant. Like, I'm already going to go search for a domain name right now. I think I think we should do something about that. <laughs> you should move back to Kokomo, start your own brewery, and just go wild with 100%. children-themed, children-themed books. Who needs to be in Chattanooga anyway? Come on. <laughs> have you guys ever been <laughs> down this way before? or anything. A few uh, times. I, I've never had the pleasure of making it that far south. And not stopping. It's, or and stopping. And stopping. It, it is actually a pretty cool town. It's, it's changed quite a bit in the last decade or so. Uh, but it's actually home to one of the, the largest, I think actually still the largest freshwater aquarium in the country. Um, mm-hmm. Beautiful waterfront, cool restaurants. It's becoming a pretty cool place to hang out. So yeah, come through, visit sometime. It's, it's pretty great. Do you have either of you have kids? Yep, we do. Both of you do? Okay, yeah, so even better. Um, Children's Museum and, and Ruby Falls and Rock City and the Incline, I think you, you alluded to that. It's, it's a pretty cool place. Nice. Nice. Someday, someday when I have time to travel again, I would love to see that's on our <laughs> list of places that aren't too far from where we are. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I did want to jump right into, Nathan, if you, if you would indulge us, is uh, in a nutshell, for the listeners who have been living under a rock and don't know who you are, uh, I'd like to know just a bit about your origin story, because I think if we have listeners out there that are like Stephen and I, who've been shooting, um, our entire lives and we're old and gray and we're like at that point in our career where we're just thinking about what's next for us, what, what's that next chapter look like, you know, obviously we have children. We don't want to give up every single weekend anymore. And the grave, Dustin. That's what's next that's for us. <laughs> exactly. Um, for you. But we are looking at that sort of what can we do using the skill set we've learned over the last, you know, 12, 13 years and, e- and evolve that. And so I think you're someone who is sort of a, in a, an amazing example of that. Somebody who took their photography skill set, saw a need, and then evolve that into something else. Um so if you could kind of give us sort of the nuts and bolts of you for just a couple minutes. Sure. <laughs> and I'll try not to make it, I'll try not to ramble on too, too long, but uh, the simple version. I don't know how you're not going to with Dustin asking the broadest question I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Please tell me everything about your life. Let's in, start with uh, you being born in Kokomo and, and what caused you to move to Japan. Go. <laughs> yeah. Well, the simple version on the photography side is I started shooting weddings back in 2001 and mm-hmm. um, the business grew, shooting as many as 30 or 40 a year. We went from film to, to digital photography. Post-production gets nightmarish. And so I, and I, I already alluded to this, I think, before we started recording, but I'm a little bit OCD when it comes to, to structure and ultimately even this idea of perfection. I, I, for whatever reason, think that it's possible in some form or fashion. And so that gets in the way of, of living in business sometimes. But when it came to post-production, it was just driving me crazy, especially with that much work. And so I needed something, I needed a solution for my business. I also saw, I guess, kind of looking through the eyes of, of an entrepreneur of sorts, I saw opportunity in the industry for yet another solution. There were already two or three, three options, I think at the time. And they were, I think of one in particular that was kind of leading the way at that point. 
um, they were complicated, extremely pricey. Like for a, a wedding photographer to send a wedding to be processed, it's going to be something like six to 800 bucks to have a wedding processed, which is not feasible for most photographers. And so I saw a need in the industry for something that was less expensive. And that was also simpler. I mean, you had to get a calculator out to figure out how much this was going to cost. And, um, and then the process at the time, I don't think was particularly refined either. So something that was simple, something that was, that was more accessible to a wider number of photographers. And, um, and so, and of course, ultimately a solution for my photography business. So that's when photographers edit was launched. This is 2008. So about 11 years ago. And, um, that's a simple version. Now, as far as I guess there's one additional piece of motivation there. And that was, I wanted to create a, a business that would give me even more flexibility than I had as a photographer. So I had, I have two kids. Um, they're now 17 and 14, quite a bit younger at the time. And being kind of confined, constrained to the business model under which I was functioning at that point as a photographer wasn't kind of the ideal life that I wanted to live. And so I wanted to create a business that would give me even more flexibility that the, the catchphrase is passive income. And I know there are mixed opinions on that idea, but, um, literally within the span of probably about three, between two and three years, I was able to work as little as, I mean, there's a book called the four hour work week. Not so ironically, mm -hmm. I was able to work as little as about four hours a week and the business continued to grow. I was lucky enough to have a team that would enable that, but, um, that was the goal in hindsight. Now, if, if I had thrown say 15 hours a week into the business at that point, we'd be in a whole different place now than we already are. But, um, mm -hmm. that's the, that's the ultra, ultra, ultra simple version, kind of the reasoning, the motivation behind starting photographers at the last wedding that I shot under my business was 2012. So I haven't photographed for a while, but I shot for a total of about, about between 10 and 11 years. That sounds, uh, amazing. But what I want to do is I want to pick apart that now. And I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about how you actually started photographers at it. So if you could kind of give me sort of the, like I, the origin story of that, like, did you, were you at a laptop at a coffee shop editing other photographers work or did you immediately think, okay, I need to assemble a team or did you have like a cousin, cousin Louie that was like, <laughs> Hey man, I love editing photos. Let me start editing your photos. And then that light bulb went off and you're like, Hey, I could have this guy edit 15 guys photos. How did that all kind of come together? It's actually a good question because one of the limiting factors for the existing companies at the time was that they hadn't created a business model that was scalable. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and it's easy. I know speaking from personal experience as a photographer, a sole proprietor, you, it's easy to get kind of stuck in your own little world blinders on, and you don't know what it means to, to, to scale, to think about the long term and how can I build a business in such a way that it doesn't require, you know, only my involvement. And, and so a lot of business owners, photographers in particular, I think have a tendency of thinking that way and, and understandably. So the, the businesses, the editing companies that were our competition at the time were thinking in a similar way and they were functioning with editors in house. And so my thought was, well, first of all, in order to, of course, to, to be able to bring the price point down, we had to scale effectively and I didn't need to keep the editing in house. If I was going to effectively scale, if we were going to avoid what was happening at the time with other companies, which is a waiting list. I had to figure out a way to mm -hmm. be able to, to scale and ideally scale quickly, of course. And so the thought was initially, maybe I'll have a couple of editors here local in Chattanooga, and then I'll find someone, another company, um, the specialist of, of sorts to, to be able to subcontract the work to, and that way we could more effectively grow and scale. I was lucky enough at that point to find a company 
And um, so literally, well, almost from day one, probably a couple of months in or so that, that we established a working relationship and then began to develop a workflow and a process. And that, that process took quite a while, but had we not found a, a partner and that they actually ended up becoming business partners. I have two business partners now. So they bought into the company about five years in five or six years mm -hmm. in. And, um, but to, to find a partner to work with that could handle the work workload and give us the flexibility and the scalability to grow and be able to handle the kind of growth that we ended up seeing. Fortunately, um, that's what it required. So I couldn't keep it all in house. I had to look out and I, it was, it was a beast of a time, honestly, the first year and a half or so, the amount of time that I spent training and then giving feedback and more training and more feedback, um, was, was tough, but, ultimately it's paid off. You know, consistency is, is always a challenge when you're talking about editing. I mean, just personally, but then if you're going to handle somebody else's work, how do you effectively provide consistent editing that matches their style um, and, and do so in a way that makes sense to the photographer and somehow correlate the way that they see things to the way that the editor sees things? I mean, it's a, it's a big challenge. It's all very, very subjective. So we've tried to, to develop systems that enable us to do that effectively. And we're like literally on an ongoing basis, continuing to try to improve on that 11 years later. But if, if we don't, um, I, I think we'll end up falling short and just kind of die off. So it's, it's important to continue to iterate, to continue to listen to feedback. And we try to do that best we can. I love that. I love that. Um, so do you spend a lot of time editing then, or is it mostly just other people editing? Now? I do not know. We have a production team of about a hundred, um, nice. most of whom are focused on color correction work. And then we have a smaller mm -hmm. team of, of retouchers, um, probably, well, it, it's the majority percentage certainly, um, of the work that we do currently is focused around that custom color correction work. And then we have, um, the next kind of biggest segment is culling and color correction. So some photographers go ahead and trust us to do the culling work, take out the bad stuff, keep the rest and process those images. And then, um, a smaller percentage that, that, uh, a smaller percentage of our time and resources are allocated to retouching. But and, and, and I'm sorry, I don't think I actually answered your question directly. I don't personally edit the photos anymore. There's no way. I mean, we process <laughs> millions and millions of images every year. Uh, and I couldn't effectively build a company if I had my hands in it. Yeah. And not to get overly philosophical, but, you know, that's, that's something we talk about a lot on, on Boca as well as the significance of not only delegation. Um, and, and ironically, I'm even continuing to learn how to effectively do that with my team even now. Uh, but the significance of delegation, certainly, but if you're going to grow a business and that, that enables you to actually have some free time, actually have some flexibility in your life, uh, then you have to learn how to scale. And that involves certainly delegation. It learns how to communicate or involves learning how to effectively communicate with and to those people that you're working with. Um, and that is not only an ongoing learning process for me, but then we're also trying to help other photographers learn the philosophical principles that underlie that process so they can effectively work with us as well. Are there any, um, now looking back, are there any like hurdles or things that you were like, man, I wish I would have done that differently. Or I, if I had done that differently, that would have, like you said earlier, if I had put, you know, 15 hours a week in instead of four hours, like, but, um, photographers that it would be just, you know, at another place right now. Right. What are some things like, from your journey, you can share with us and our listeners that perhaps um, you can help them avoid. Hmm. 
That's a good one. I mean, the one that I always talk about actually is not specifically tied to photographer's edit. It goes back to my photography career, and it was the lack of attention to finances. Um, I we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And as much as my, my dad in particular tried to kind of teach us basic principles behind financial management, it wasn't something that, that carried over. And mm-hmm. I just very simply did a very terrible job of managing money, particularly as a photographer. And it's, it's been a, a learning curve that was, I mean, really is ongoing, but particularly for a segment of time, realizing how poorly I was managing money, how that was translating to, or how that was affecting my life personally, and ultimately limiting me even as a business owner. Um, it, it, the, the lack of discipline when it came to managing my finances, and actually not just lack of discipline, but I guess innate to that proactivity in, in managing my finances. I was afraid of money. I was afraid of doing taxes. And it sounds ridiculous, uh, and it is ridiculous, because really it, it doesn't have to be so complicated if you just are consistent and proactive and taking care of, you know, keeping up the books and taking care of your taxes every month. The sim- it, relatively simple, especially with the technology we have these days. Um, but I just, I tended to shun it because I didn't like it, and I was afraid of it for one reason or another. And that really, that bit me hard, too. And... Um, again, I would be in a much different place personally, potentially professionally, but certainly personally now had, you know, 15, well, close to 20 years ago, even now that had I done a better job of managing my money. Now, fast forward, go to photographer's edit. And I, the other thing that I would say that I've learned is the significance of, well, what we were just talking about delegation. Um, it is so important if you want to grow, to learn, to give up control. And this idea of, uh, in fact, I just recently heard Gary Vaynerchuk talking about this, this idea that that we get in our head, uh, that somebody else can't do something as good as us, or if it's not done the exact same way, uh, it's Mm -hmm. not going to be good enough. Somebody's not going to be happy. The brand's not going to be represented well, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that is something that I've let get in the way of probably further growth as well. So learning to delegate. Um, that's, that's one thing. And it's ironic, of course, considering what photographers edit is all about, but it's something that I'm, and I'm still learning to do better. And then the other thing, I guess the third thing would be, and, and it sounds so cliche because there's so much conversation about this right now, but I guess I would phrase it differently. Learning to be comfortable with myself, learning to set aside insecurities that, you know, stem from past experiences and that have psychological roots that I can, (laughs) I know that's not what this podcast is about. I could certainly break down for you a little bit, but understanding the psychology that drives how I feel and think and learning to step beyond that for the sake of moving forward, getting things done. I've seen opportunity in front of me and at times have held back from pursuing opportunity for fear of somebody else's opinion of me, whether as a coworker, a business partner, or otherwise, that kind of apprehension, which again is all rooted in security, I think that's the piece that's not talked about enough. That has gotten in the way of me being a better business owner. So learning to step beyond that, um, certainly function as a business owner intelligently, but there's an element still that I think uh, an element of significance we can give to this idea of following our gut. Um, mm-hmm. gut that comes from hopefully from actual experience and understanding of the way that, that business works, the way the market works and saying, you know what, that's an opportunity. That's something that needs to be done and going after it without fear of you know, this person's going to say this thing or think that thing, uh, just going for it, take advantage of opportunity. That, that would be the other thing I would point out. Cool. Yeah. I'm always trying to think about, you know, what things are coming my way that I 
you know, pass on because I'm too afraid at this given time that maybe I'm too busy or I have too much going on or whatnot. And, uh, well, I regret that later on, but it's hard to live in that, in that stage or in that state. Well, I, I think, I mean, there's so much opportunity around us and this is, you know, whether it's for a photographer looking at their local market and trying to figure out the business model that they want to establish if, if they take, and it really isn't overly difficult, if you take a time to step back and just look at the market, the way that photographers are behaving, the way that the actual market, the potential clients are behaving, you can see opportunity holes in the market. There's opportunity to go after that. And a lot of time insecurity in one form or another holds photographers back from taking advantage of those opportunities. And you hear these kinds of stories really kind of all the time and, and, and culture, probably even just conversation with friends and family. They're like, I had this idea once and then I didn't do it. And now look, there's, there's this company, this massive company and you know, the, the CEO is a multimillionaire. And, and if only I had done that thing, um, I don't know, we, we have, again, as cliche as it kind of sounds, we have one life to live. There's opportunity all around us. If we just keep our eyes open and go for it, um, there, what the, the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work out. And then you course correct. And I think back to the conversation about insecurity, part of the, the insecurity is also tied to what I alluded to earlier, this, this tendency toward a desire for not perfection and that I actually think there's perfection, but doing it just right. That mm. also has been a limiting factor for me. And, and I've learned a lot in the last couple of years or so about just doing it and figuring it out along the way, or if need be course correct along the way. Um, it's not a big deal to do that. The, the key is that you're proactive. And I have a particular set of values that, that I review, just kind of keep front and center, literally actually on, on my phone screensaver. Um, and, and one of those values that I want to, to consistently live by is that the idea of proactivity. When I think about proactivity, I'm thinking about moving forward. Yeah, you're going to hit hiccups and you're going to make mistakes and screw up and do some stupid stuff, but you're going to continue to push forward. And um, so that, that's kind of the, the thought process that drives more of what I do now is there's opportunity. I go for it. It may not be just right to begin with, but I'll course correct. I'll adjust. I'll keep moving forward. Well, now that we all feel inferior to you, Nathan. Um, <laughs> no. Let me uh, tell you about how I failed in that regard a million times over. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, a big part of what you talk whoa, about. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm waiting. I want to hear all the failure now. Come on. <laughs> Let's bring it out. Day in, day out. No, I mean, it's, it, honestly, it, it, is, it is an issue for me. Um, consistency. So when, when mm -hmm. I think about the, the notion of moving forward, I think to move forward, to be truly proactive, you need to continue to move forward, even if it's small steps consistently. But I also know that one of my shortcomings is a tendency to be kind of, I'll say this, it's, it's extreme, but manic depressive in the sense that I, I like to, to go like really, really hard for a short amount of time. And that feels good. And, you know, get good response from, from um, social media or get good response looking at numbers of the company. And then I get burnt out because I, I just went, way too hard. And then I pull back for a segment of time. And, and this, this has happened for me on a business level. It's happened personally, emotionally, um, it's affected relationships. And so proactivity, proactivity is great. Moving forward is great, but figuring out a pace at which you can do so consistently is I think also important. And that's something else that I'm really working at now too. So to, to your question, uh, Steven, I, I think, or to the point that you were making, I, I think that my biggest shortcoming, um, even I, I feel like I'm doing better in the last, even in the last couple of months or so, but my biggest shortcoming is in 
even if it's for a day or if it's a week or maybe even a month of just like going to town, you know, tons of podcast interviews and all kinds of work with clients. And, and I mean, the list goes on, but I, I do that. And then I, and I burn out and I fall off instead of that mm-hmm. kind of behavioral pattern, realizing the significance of consistency and the way that I engage with work, that I engage in my relationships with others, that the emotional state that I maintain, um, that is, is where I've fallen short, but I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm continuing to get better at this point. And, and I see it. I see the positive results, particularly in business. Um, and I'm, it's still something that I'm working at even more in, in my relationships with, with my kids, uh, with my girlfriend as well. It's, it's, there's some work to be done there, but I'm seeing the positive benefits of, of being proactive in that regard. Cool. So speaking of your girlfriend, uh, does she have anything to do with your new podcast? That's a great are you, question. Are you thinking like, wow, I don't want to screw this up. I really like this girl. Let me talk to as many people as I can about where they <laughs> screwed up and just be proactive about it. Yeah. So a love portrait or, um, it is, well, a love portrait is a podcast that I started, let's see, it's been probably eight months or so ago. Anyway, it's, it's been a little, little bit ago. Uh, there are only five episodes out currently. And, and in full transparency, I, I ended up with a really full plate that's kept me from being able to effectively manage that podcast in addition to Photographer's Edit and the Boca podcast. And then we're actually in the process of launching, working on the, the, the launch of yet another company playing mm-hmm. in the, the wedding and, and photography space. And so there's going to get back down to that four hour work week. Exactly. Right. Well, I've, I've kind of, and I told you I'm like this, right. That the, uh, the up and down extremes. So I'm kind of overcompensating for the, for the four hour work weeks back in the day. But, um, <laughs> there's to our earlier conversation, there's a lot of opportunity. And so I'm, I'm trying to, to capitalize on that. Uh, but to your question about the, the podcast, um, it was something that I wanted to do for the sake of exploring yes, relationships so that I could learn so that I could get better in relationships. Um, I, had a marriage that I, I wouldn't say failed. I think failed is a word that's just kind of thrown out there and like without real context or, or meaning. I mean, it failed in the sense that it didn't work out, but it was a relationship that, that ultimately went South that didn't work out. Um, I have a pretty good relationship with, with Amber, uh, my ex, my kid's mom, but I, I learned a lot through that. I learned a lot through other relationships as well. And now I have the opportunity to be in the relationship um, with my girlfriend, Jill. And I've learned so much from her as well. But there's obviously a lot of different perspectives on how to have a great relationship and not just romantic relationships, friendships, uh, work relationships, you know, f- relationships with family. And podcast so, hosts, relationships. 100%. Yeah, those, those podcast hosts, <laughs> they can Love be you, a difficult Steve. bunch. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I mean, there's like, that's, a, that's an endless topic, right? Like, if you're going to pick a, a topic to have a podcast on, literally, I could do podcasts for the next 80 years and, and never run out of, of guests and things to talk about. So whereas there are underlying principles, I think a few principles that drive healthy relationships, there are different stories innate to these relationships and slightly different perspectives. And the idea of exploring what it takes to have a happy relationship, romantic or otherwise, uh, that was interesting to me. I also have a kind of a long-term goal of becoming a a therapist, a psychologist, and I'm Mm -hmm. gonna have to go back to school because I never finished school. So I'll get my my bachelor's and master's and and open a, a practice potentially do some stuff through podcasting or, you know, online teaching or, or, or therapy counseling. Uh, there's, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, but the thought process with the podcast as well was, all right, instead of just waiting until the time is right to go back to school and get those degrees and do those things, 
let me do something about it. And, and so what I can do at least, I, I can't be the professional necessarily offering advice, although I can you know, share what I've learned thus far. I can at least create conversation that will hopefully add value to the world at large when it comes to how to create a better relationship. And so that was the thought process. I, it's, it's on hold for the moment. But uh, I hope that I have the opportunity to get back to that. And again, there are just endless conversations to be had around the topic. So you're, you're just an entrepreneur running a business, editing millions and millions of photos a year, running two podcasts, and you're just thinking, maybe someday I'll retire and become a psychologist. <laughs> 100%. I, it, and as funny as it may sound, I love relationships. I love connection. It's largely what drove the podcast, Boca Podcast. Um, I, having gone through separation with my ex and, and then kind of realizing just like as, as an individual, as a human being, I got married when I was 20 and I, and I came out of a, a very conservative household, kind of a bubble of an environment. And, mm. um, and I just, I didn't really have, again, I'm going to borrow a cliche phrase here, but I didn't really have an identity. I didn't. And, and it's not that I, I, I think this idea of knowing who you are is a bit of a misnomer. I think ultimately we get to decide who we want to be. We, we all have yep. certain tendencies and interests and desires, but you can, you can track all that back to life experience and the development of your psychology. And so much of it is tied to those things. So I, I don't think it's this, I don't think, I don't think it's this, um, kind of mystery, this adventure that you're on to go find who you are. I think, I think that's just a, a, a distorted way of, of looking at ourselves as human beings. And I think it's limiting in fact. So the, the, what I've realized is the significance of deciding who I want to be, but even to get to the point where I realize that that is a healthier approach to life, being an individual and interacting with others took me some time. So there was a span of time there where I just pulled back from, uh, again, the world at large, the industry in particular, and was disconnected from the industry, despite the fact that I'd been so connected previously as a photographer. And the podcast was an opportunity to reconnect, to have conversation. And it's been a, a big challenge to learn how to become a better conversationalist, how to become a better interviewer and a host. And I've enjoyed that experience, but ultimately that type of interaction, that one-on-one -on -one interaction, where hopefully there's opportunity to go beyond just the surface level and get to know somebody and, and explore their psychology, then ultimately try to help them with whatever issue that they're dealing with is extremely appealing to me. And uh, the idea of maybe living even a bit off the grid somewhere, having an office, potentially in a small town or nearby a, a larger town. And like Kokomo? Yeah, absolutely, man. Especially with the big, what was it? The big red, what were we going to call it? The, the beer? Big, big yeah. red ale. Yep. Big red oh, ale. Perfect. So now you're going to be a psychologist in a small town like Kokomo. And also you're going to have a brewery going as well. You're piling stuff back on again. And encourage the alcoholic tendencies of my patients. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what you'll prescribe to all your patients. <laughs> 100%. I can't help you today in this therapy session, but my brewery can help you out a lot. You need one of these. <laughs> yeah. It's right next door, coincidentally. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Tomorrow we're going to meet back together again and talk about your alcoholism. It's all good. <laughs> 100%. Hey, how do you Got expect that, that I'm going to get repeat clients? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's uh, I think that's one of your gifts, Nathan, is you get to kind of see little holes in the market and you kind of capitalize on those. And if you can be both a, you know, a therapist and a brewery, brewery owner, I think there's uh, there's something to be said there. If you can provide the solutions to the problems and also cause the problems, <laughs> there's, yeah, it's a great business to Endless be in. Endless money to be made. Yep. <laughs>
So are we going to get a little taste of maybe what's on the horizon? What's this new venture, this new company that you're kind of exploring or thinking about or tinkering with? Yeah. Listen, you can't just ask that. He's still in the process. He's not, is he even ready to launch? You don't know could, this. Could just give us a tease. Well, it, it's, uh, and I don't know when, how soon these podcast episodes come out, but uh, within the, hopefully within the next six weeks or so, we'll be launching the first version of this app, which very simply is a tool that enables photographers and wedding coordinators to collaborate on events, the planning of events, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when it comes to managing the timeline and the shot list. So most interactions that involve conversations around the timeline and the shot list these days happen, A, via email, and to, you know, maybe in addition to that email, they're attaching Word docs. It's just a very dated way of, of collaborating on the management of the event. So we are in the process right now of, of, well, finishing a tool that is going to enable the photographer, the coordinator, the event coordinator, and also the client um, to collaborate on the timeline, the shot list, and um, ultimately be able to more effectively and efficiently manage an event. There you go. Can we rope videographers in on that app as well? No, nope, they're not, not invited. <laughs> well, it, so initially, we're, this is, you know, for the sake of specificity and marketing and, and having a brand new product and, and kind of managing the influx of users, uh, mm -hmm. we're going to initially work market specifically to photographers and coordinators. But, yep. um, but yeah, we're definitely going to open up because naturally when you're talking, when you're thinking about relationships and, and honestly, a lot of what I do and hope to continue to do throughout my life as, as a business owner, potentially as a psychologist, all centers around time and relationships. So photographers edit is about that. The book of podcast is, is largely about time and relationships. And then ultimately Milu is the name of this app. It's, it's actually play on a Japanese word, which means to see. Um, kind of playing on this idea that, uh, of course, not only the photography tied to the to the idea of seeing um, a scene and photographing it, capturing it, but also as a coordinator, you're, you've got this kind of big picture view, overseeing the 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 timeline of this particular event. So it's playing on that idea. Milu, spelled M I I L U, uh, Milu is going to ultimately enable. Um, or actually, hopefully, not only enable relationships, but better relationships, right? It makes it easier to collaborate with those people that you're going to work with on an event. And that doesn't just involve the photographer, the coordinator, but now you're also talking about the florist, um, the event location itself, uh, the caterer, the baker, et cetera. So there are a lot of relationships involved there. And this platform, initially, we have some longer-term plans that I won't get into right now, but initially this platform is going to be focused on enabling very streamlined collaboration on events. See, and here I was, Stephen, thinking Nathan was going to announce the photographer's edit version for real estate photographers. <laughs> See, that, that's what I was, uh, that's why I was asking. I was you were hoping Nathan would come on our podcast and just say, hey, I've built this thing that would help you out, Dustin, yeah. it's all, personally. That's, that's really what it's all about. Well, it, it's... Um, not so ironically, the the future plans associated with this brand, um, potentially a secondary brand, will actually help solve that solution. So, to be continued. Mm -hmm. Oh, for real estate yeah. stuff, hundred percent. Okay, yeah, there is there is actually a really great opportunity there, kind of on multiple levels. Um, not only addressing photographic needs, but also on the editing side, and and uh, we're going to be working on a solution that will address that as well. Yeah, because I'm tired of sending them to some company in Australia. <laughs> we won't mention any names. All right. You want to do some Q&A? 
100%. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do some Q&A. But, but Steve. Noel from a random Facebook group asks, I did a photo recently with a group of people trying to spell out a word with their bodies. They were not super fit, nor were they super flexible. As a result, the photo just looks like a group of people. I'm going to try to fix this, but how much liquefying is too much liquefying? <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> Again, to you, to you guys and your ability to incorporate humor, I, I don't, yeah, I honestly don't even know where to go with that. Too, how much liquefying is too much liquefying? Yeah. Like, when we get to the point where you can't really tell it's people anymore, it's just like clothing in the shape of, uh, I don't know, I'm guessing he's probably trying to do like maybe the date of the wedding or maybe like the word love or something wedding related. It was in a wedding Facebook group that I found it. So when it just looks like maybe an art piece now (laughs) and you no longer can tell that there are people in it, has he gone too far? Has Noel gone too far? 100%. Now, but the context of the Facebook group helps, yeah. And now I can picture the, not only that initial post, but then probably the comments underneath it. Um, <laughs> yeah, when, when, when the, let's just say the, uh, it, it's a, um, a bride and a groom, and the bride has been liquefied, and the husband looks at that and says, honey, that the finished image, the print, whatever it might be, and says, honey, you're absolutely stunning. Um, I'm so lucky to be with you, then you know that they did just enough. Uh, when the groom looks at that picture of his bride and says, holy crap, what did, who, who is that? Then, you know, a little too much liquefying. Or he says, I, I'm so happy. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what about when the groom looks at it and he's like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing work of art. This is like Salvador Dali came and shot our wedding. And she's Is that like, too much? What, I'm not good enough for you as I am? <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, just man. trying to picture that conversation when the photographer contacts photographers at it with this request for... And they, you know, they're like, so I've got this photo. It's a group shot. No one apparently knows what yoga is. And so I couldn't get the L-O-V-E spelled out. I really need you guys to make this happen. What is the response from photographers edit to said photographer? <laughs> Probably. I'm sorry. We can't do that. We're, we are not able to, to offer such service. That's where capitalism takes over for me, Nathan. And I'm like, well, for $100 an hour... You're raising your hand? You know, we can get some bridesmaids' dresses rented. We got a couple guys here at the office with suits. We'll restage this photo with flexible individuals. And then we'll just Photoshop that bride and groom right on into that picture. It'll be I thought perfect. you were going to say for $100 an hour... I can fix this for you. And then you were just going to send it off to that company in Australia. You used for all your real estate edits. <laughs> that is true too. We could go that route. Oh man, guys, I'm, I'm such a nerd. I haven't, I, I don't even know how to handle your style of humor. This is too funny. <laughs> what you take as humor is really just reality for us. <laughs> Dustin, do you want to, do you want to pick another one? Joan from a random Facebook group asks the following. I'm having trouble getting a wedding edited. I sit down to edit. I edit one photo. I get distracted. And an hour later, I turn off Orange is the New Black and edit another photo. (laughs) But then I get distracted again. 
And it's another hour later, another episode of Orange is the New Black, and I'm turning it off again. I edit another photo, and suddenly I find myself looking at orange jumpsuits on Amazon with three jumpsuits in my cart, but nothing purchased nor shipped yet. So I purchase the jumpsuits. I get back to editing and get one more photo in, and then an hour goes by, and I realize I'm Googling petty crimes that could get me in jail. How do I focus on editing and staying out of jail. Don't even worry about editing. Just send us the work and you can go watch your Orange is the New Black. Wow, that was a real, we just really teed that question up for I, you, Nathan. I mean, yeah, that, that doesn't get any easier. I mean, really, Joan, when you look at it, do you really need to be editing? Like, you could be in jail right now. Think about that life. You're no longer watching Orange is the New Black. Now you're living Orange is the New Black. I feel like that's where Joan's going, right? Probably so. I I think you got to figure it out, Stephen. So, Nathan, what are some petty crimes Joan could commit? (laughs) Well, she's probably did she did she did it say that she was going to buy the jumpsuit? She could start with stealing the jumpsuit. There's a bit of that's what I like. Meta irony going on there, where you're like you're stealing. See, that would that would involve her leaving her house, though. It sounds like Joan would prefer to just sit and Google and watch TV. Dustin, I don't know if you're familiar with this thing called hacking, but Joan oh. could totally hack those jumpsuits right off of Amazon. That's true. So my, my question, though, Nathan, for you, as a sort of the way my brain works, is have you ever thought about developing an app or a website using technology to target photographers who are in prison as potential editors <laughs> or photographers? Wait. I mean, think about that potential. They can't go out and shoot anymore true they you know confined to a small area all they need is an internet connection most smuggle cell phones in at one point or another so i'm told hmm. they could actually if, if if they were smuggling in smartphones they could even edit on their phone exactly i think you have a whole new division you could add to your workforce see doesn't the way i thought you were going with that is there would be a partnership Nathan could develop with, say, I don't know, Netflix, maybe Amazon Prime, Hulu. So when a photographer sends their photos in to Photographer's Edit, they hit that submit button and it just automatically brings up Netflix straight for them. So now they can just watch their favorite show until, you know, their photos come back and they're all done. And, uh, you know, you can measure out the length of time it would take to get an editing uh, wedding edited based on how many episodes of Orange is the New Black that the uh, photographer could watch. That's actually that's no. actually a pretty brilliant idea. We we have a we're in the process of finishing building a, a calculator right now that makes it more practical for photographers to be able to see how much time they're gaining back. So we could just plug in like we could add an extra drop down there, which is your favorite show, and then translate that to the number of hours or episodes that they get to watch as a result of outsourcing their editing. I think that's a great idea. It's a great idea, but it does make me feel like a lesser human being when I'm like I'm really just sending off my photos so I can watch more Game of Thrones or Orange is the New Black. Let's let's say play with my children, <laughs> take my wife out for dinner. Oh, no, no, no. Let's, let's take it up a notch. Uh, instead of kicking them out to Netflix or Hulu or something like that, uh, we, we kick them out to Creative Live. So now they're educating themselves to be a better photographer uh. while their photos are getting edited. Okay. Okay. That's a little better. Do you feel better yeah. about that, Dustin? Just a touch. <laughs> okay. But I think there is something to be said about maybe contacting the producers of Orange is the New Black 
and seeing if maybe you can work some photographer's edit into that show. Ah. Maybe they're, instead of working in the kitchen, you know, maybe they're, they're editing photos when they're on, you know, work release or whatever. <laughs> instead for of the, making, I think. I have to paint this scene though. For those of you listening in, we're actually on, on video chat right now. And I keep watching Steven's response. Like Dustin starts to say something and somehow Steven's already reading his mind and he knows it's going to be funny. And he, and he kind of puts his hand over his face and starts laughing already, like preemptively. Dustin, you must be quite hilarious. Uh, no, no. Steven is just thinking, why am I doing this podcast with this guy? <laughs> thinking about how long it would take me to go back to school to get my psychology degree. Because <laughs> Dustin needs a lot of therapy. There's a lot of underlying issues here. Mm. Should we talk about that, Dustin? How does that make you feel? Let's let's save that for your other podcast. <laughs> um, Steven, did you want to take the next one? Uh, yeah, I think we got time for maybe one more, right? Okay. okay. Um, Dustin, you said you had a hard stopping point at 210. So try, trying to keep you getting to your kids on time so that you can actually, you know get them picked up and not be sent to child services for leaving your kids alone at a stranger's that, house. That is always my goal every day and every week is how to not lose custody of my children. Way to set the bar really high. That's good. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my goal. I'm just a bar setter. So Bart from a random Facebook group writes, my computer don't click and the pics donut look good. I have Sharpie. Can I fix to print? So, can you translate that that trailer talk for us, Stephen? So Got it. Can, uh, okay. So what what Bart's saying is, my computer don't click, and the mm-hmm. pics donut look good. I have Sharpie. <laughs> can I use to fix print? Okay. One one more time, just a little deeper translation for us. <laughs> okay. Wait, you got to use that 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 host that podcasting host voice of yours. It might help. Uh. <clears throat> My computer don't click, and the pics don't look good. I have Sharpie. Can I use to fix print? <laughs> now do it with more of like a sort of a southern, you know, southern Mississippi. Uh, southern Mississippi? First time looking at a computer. Yeah, something. Oh, oh we'll see how this one goes. Uh, my, my computer don't click, and the pics don't look good. I have Sharpie. Can I fix the print? Yep. Well the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Then, I think we oh, have time for one more question. You got it that time with that one? <laughs> Gunner from a random Facebook group. A client just said their skin doesn't look right in any photos I delivered. I checked all the photos immediately in fear, but the white balance looks great. I asked the client what is wrong, and they said there's not enough purple in their skin we went back and forth on (laughs) some different edits trying to make this couple happy but i'm afraid they're just grimacing me how do i convince these people not to go full barney (laughs) so i think the the problem is their skin looks too much like human skin Mm -hmm, they want to get some more purple in their skin and this photographer doesn't want to go full barney so doesn't doesn't want to turn them into to dinosaurs, purple dinosaurs. So, how 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 would how would you tell your your editors, your your manager, your people managing your editors to approach this sort of situation where a client wants very purple skin? I would just tell them that that, that like brand of dinosaur we don't really do. 
like maybe like what's what's something that's got a little bit more is it is it a brontosaurus we we don't do Barney's here. We uh we could do we could do a baby bop for you. Ba- but yeah, Barney maybe, not so yeah. much. Wasn't baby bop a triceratops though? Yes. Yes she was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could do triceratops, not so much the Barney. Yeah, we gotta get it some green in the skin, a little green and yellow. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. yeah, I would say due to copyright law and copyright infringement that we uh we can't go full Barney. Uh we don't have the licensing yet. However, um, we are interested in purchasing said license to take our clients full Barney. Um, so for a hundred dollars an hour here at photographers edit, um, <laughs> and that's per person in your bridal party, yeah. we, we could take you full Barney. And I, I think that's, that's the direction I would go. And I would just make everybody in, I would just take photos from Barney and I would just Photoshop everyone in the wedding to look like purple dinosaurs. I think that works. Then, but if we then, can break down the question a little bit, they did say, I'm afraid they're grimacing me, and grimacing was capitalized. Mm. So that's a McDonald's reference right there. Mm-hmm. That's true. What is going on with this person? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on with you guys that you could spend this much time on this question? That's the, that's the real question. Um, these are the hard-hitting things we answer, Nathan. <laughs> these are the sorts of things that people need to know about. Fair enough, fair enough. The sorts of things that, you know, you you can't just sit there and not watch Orange is the New Black. You have to watch Orange is the New Black. This is a podcast not about needs. It's it's about wants, right, Dustin? The dark, the dark alley. <laughs> I've completely abandoned the need thing. Yeah, we're into wants now. <laughs> This, this podcast is about our innermost desires. Nathan, which McDonald's character do you find to be the uh, most visually appealing? Uh, well, Fry Kids? Ronald, of course. <laughs> Ronald. <laughs> Ronald is so creepy. <laughs> I never did get the, the whole, like, what people's obsession with clowns is, like, the, why people are so afraid of clowns. I, I don't really get that. So I'm, I'm going to go with Ronald. The truth comes out about why Nathan wants to be a psychologist now. He's like, I really need to get to the bottom of this clown issue. I was going to say, you'll learn that. You'll learn that when you go (laughs) back to school, Nathan. The sole motivation for becoming a psychologist, why do people freak out about clowns so much? Yeah. We we thought, based on how he was talking earlier, he really just wanted to do it to help people become better versions of themselves, have better (laughs) relationships, all these things. But we get right down to it. It's clowns. Can't figure them out. (laughs) He watched it, and he was like, this doesn't seem that scary. No. <laughs> I'd gladly go into the sewers with that guy. <laughs> I bet it's great down there. I'm sure it's doesn't, a lot of fun. Which McDonald's character do you, do you visually enjoy looking at the most? Jeez, uh, that's a tough one. Man, Aesthetically so many... pleasing McDonald's character. Go. What's the, the robber guy's name? Mm, the Hamburglar? Hamburglar. I don't mm. know how you remember that. That Yeah, I couldn't think of it either. The robber guy. I like the robber guy. Now, you guys are back on that Orange is the New Black train now. <laughs> <laughs> Steven has a lot of time on his hands, Nathan. He he lives that four-hour work, work week, so he has plenty of time to uh, catch up on Barney and review, you know, animated characters from McDonald's advertisements <laughs> and... I bet I bet you're the one that you still have the collection of all the toys from your kids' meals as a kid. 
um, currently working on getting my kids all those toys right now. <laughs> They're not mine anymore. I've, you should see, I've you see his Beanie that. Baby collection. Nice. My children aren't allowed to open the toys, though, but yeah. Uh, my mom was murderous about those Beanie Babies at McDonald's, mm. and mm-hmm. we ate McDonald's every single day for like a month so she could try to get all the Beanie Babies, and guess what? Never got them all. Wow. <laughs> She even went to like, uh, she, she coordinated with the people online to try to do trade ups to trade to get the, the beanie babies she didn't have. Okay. I don't know what was going on. I think my mom was having a mental breakdown because she had five children. Uh, do you have, do you have younger or older siblings? I'm smack dab in the middle. I got two older, two younger. Okay. Yeah, I get it. So she was, it was like an escape of sorts, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she was like, if I can just get them to McDonald's. <laughs> I don't have to worry about them for a few minutes. They will eat their burgers and their fries, and then they will have a toy to play with. And I will be rewarded with a sweet, sweet bag of beans. Beans. <laughs> nice. Man, oh, man. I think uh, at one point in time, like, my sister lives in the house we grew up in now. She bought it from my mom, and I think she found a bag, like a garbage bag, full of Beanie Babies at one point in time while cleaning out the house. It was, it was, it was no bueno. What do you collect, Dustin? Uh, cash mainly, gold bars, a few diamonds here and there, uh, and then this, the the uh, broken dreams of my clients. Wow. <laughs> really, <laughs> really, what I'm after. Um, Again, but, setting that bar high, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nathan, do you collect anything? <laughs> no, I don't. You don't collect anything. I know, he's, I, he's, I, he's a minimalist. The best I he's ever did with, with collecting though was um, a baseball card. Did you ever collect baseball cards as a kid, or do you still? Yes, uh, I do. Poke- not still. Pokemon cards. Yeah, similar. My son collects yeah. Pokemon cards. Okay, oh, ba- baseball no. cards. I got a, a make a signed Mickey Mantle, like in a fifty cent pack of cards. I got a, a Mickey Mantle card that was signed that I sold for five hundred bucks, and I bought, you know, kid things. So a bicycle and. A joystick for my computer to play a flight simulator. Very fancy. So uh, Mickey Mantle, for those of us who don't follow baseball, that's like oh my gosh, um, that's, that's like a holographic Charizard, right? Exactly. Kind of similar. Hundred <laughs> percent. First edition. First edition. And signed, by the way. Yep, signed by Char himself. Absolutely. You got a signed baseball card in in just like a normal fifty cent pack? Yeah, it was it was some some series that they were doing at the time and yeah 50 cent pack and not only that it was worse because my friend spent his own money we're in sixth grade at the time and he's like here i'll buy you you know this car- this pack of cards for you and and i walked away and sold that card for half a grand and back then that was so much more money <laughs> it was a lot of money and he didn't even get a cut of it sadly <laughs> oh wow <laughs> i'm just that cool that friend is now living on the streets and <laughs> all because of that. Yeah. All because of that moment. Plotting his revenge <laughs> every single day. The anti photographer said it. He's coming for you, Nathan. Watch out. Maybe that's maybe that's the cl- maybe that's the clown in it. It's that guy mm-hmm. who's still pissed off. Yep. He's living in the sewers. Found a way to change it. himself into a big old spider. And uh, <laughs> Oh man, this is a spoiler for it. And then secretly his plot was foiled because Nathan isn't afraid of clowns. So he's like, damn it, no. So, But Nathan, are you afraid of spiders? Uh, no, actually, I was just looking at Jesus. a tarantula the other day that was like, like the size of my hand. It's incredible. Were you holding it or looking at it? I didn't get it? to hold it, no, but I totally would. That'd be, I think that'd be kind of cool. 
when I was in high school, my AP bio teacher had a tarantula that he just let run around the room, like close all the doors, put stuff underneath them so the tarantula can escape. And then it would just run around the room and every once in a while it'd crawl up on a kid in the class. It was super, super creepy when it would crawl across <laughs> your face or your head. Yeah. Did anybody and ever get bit? Uh, one kid once complained that they got bit. I, th- I think that it was just somebody seeking attention. I don't think they actually got bit though. <laughs> like there were no puncture marks on their hand or anything. I think, I think they were just saying they got bit, but. Okay. So you would never have a spider as a, as a pet then? Oh mm. no. Oh no, no, no. My daughter's spider, got this. My wife is deathly afraid of spiders. So. Oh really? Yeah. All right. So no spiders. My, my daughter has a, a snake actually that, that is, um, well, it's a, a python, like a, a ball python, I think. And oh, okay, so you just came on here to tell us that you're the cool dad. Is that it? Oh, no, not at all. No, I'm a total, <laughs> as you can, as everybody can hear, I'm a total nerd. But my, we got her this snake. She wanted this as a gift for Christmas or something or for her birthday, maybe. And um, this, this thing will eat mice. They're, they're, they're striking. The speed at which they strike is, is insane. Like, and I, I look like a fool in front of it. So we would feed it. In, in the past, we'd feed it with um, a pair of chopsticks. You pick up the, the mouse is already dead and you, you hold the mouse over its mouth. I, I'm doing this on, on video like like everybody listening can see me, but I'm You're doing a great job describing it. They can you. picture it in their heads. <laughs> Grabbing the mouse with a pair of chopsticks, hold it over the snake and the thing snapped at me. Well, my I think my son was shooting video with a slow-mo camera. And you can see the the, stri- the, the snake strikes at the mouse has enough time to strike and pull back before I even begin to respond and yank the thing back. These, they're, the speed at which they can respond just far surpasses uh, my ability or I guess human ability to respond. It's, it's pretty incredible actually to watch. But it's not, it's not particularly frightening. Do you guys like snakes? Snakes are cool. Uh, I can't say that I've ever been in a situation where I'm like, I could go hang out with this monkey or this snake. I would, <laughs> you you know, I would snake. probably not choose the snake. That <laughs> probably would not be the first thing that jumps into my mind. But yeah, I'm, I'm just, I love that you love them though, Nathan. Thank you, Dustin. You, you have, um, you made me feel better. Thank you. Do you only feed the snake dead mice or have you ever snuck on a live one in there? It's, we haven't now my, my brother used to have, so in Tennessee, it's, they, apparently there's some law that keeps you from being able to sell live snakes through the store. So mm-hmm. they only sell frozen ones. You have to put, get the frozen one. It's just kind of ridiculous process. You go buy the frozen mouse, bring it home. My daughter takes the a mug and fills it up with hot water, uses tongs, sticks the, the mouse in the water, thaws the mouse out, gets it warm enough to where the snake doesn't think that it's dead and then feeds it to the snake. Um, my brother used to have this monitor of sorts, this lizard, and they would feed, he would feed it live mouse and it would grab, saw this thing. It's most brutal. I mean, you think game of Thrones is, is brutal. You got to watch a, a, a monitor eat a live mouse. It would grab the mouse and then slam it against the, the sides of the cage until it, it was dead or mostly dead and then swallow it. Brutal. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know how we got there, but yeah, that was, that was uh, quite the scene to watch. So you just got a freezer full of dead mice at your house. <laughs> we usually buy them one at a time. How often do you have to feed the snake? Um, every once a but like once a week or two, not very mm-hmm. often. See, I, I did a photo shoot for, uh, like a zookeeper that takes care of the reptiles 
And I asked him the same question was like, do you ever feed them live mice or whatever? He's like, Oh no, that would be inhumane. Um, <laughs> and we, you know, they feed them, you know, dead ones. And he's like, I'm like, where do you get dead mice? And he's like, Oh, they come like freeze dried from a company. And I'm like, so it's inhumane to feed them live mice. But do you ever think where these dead mice are coming from? It's not like, you know, people are finding dead mice, freezing them and sending them to you. They're, essentially growing mice and killing them and sending them to you. And he's like, I've never really thought about it like that before. Yeah. Like, okay. yeah. These dead mice, they didn't even have a chance. A human grew them in a box and then killed them, freeze dried them, sent them to them. If they at least put the mouse alive in the cage, there's a chance that mouse could survive. It could sneak out. <laughs> Who knows? It's got a, you know, a blade that it smuggled with it on its trip and it could whip it out like a saber and just go to town and battle that snake. But no. No chance at all, so, Stephen. So the mouse has a shiv. So now we're back to Orange is the New Black. <laughs> That's where I was trying to take Full it. Circle. Thanks for connecting those dots. <laughs> all right, Dustin, I've already we've already kept yep. you over your time that you had to go. Um, so we need to wrap this up. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us today, Nathan. It was really it was really awesome to hear you talk about everything you're trying to do with your business and uh, your dreams for your future and stuff like that. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us. Like it was super uh, motivating to listen to you today. Oh, thank, thank, and thanks for joking around with us too. I tried, man. I, I, I you guys tr truly, I have so much respect for, for the format and the style. And I'm sorry that I, that I don't live up to that, that standard, but I, I, I love it. I think it's great. And, and hopefully something that I said earlier is, is a value to your listeners as well, but um, more power to you guys. I love this. Get our listeners is valuable to me. Yeah, <laughs> we don't do this for the listeners, <laughs> Nathan. We do this for us. This the listener part. That's just sort of a byproduct of this podcast. Um, but where can people go to find out more about you in the event that, for whatever reason, they did find value in the uh, podcast with you, and they're like, "Man, this guy is legit." Steve and Dustin are a joke. I want to know more about this guy. Um, really simple. You just go to Nathan and A-T-H-A-N com, and it'll literally link from uh, link to everything from there. So really all the projects. I think that, the name they're going to have trouble spelling is the last one, not the first one. Fair enough. H-O-L-R-I-T-Z. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Nathan com. We talked about photographers edit earlier. If you just go to photographers, plural photographers com, you can go directly there or the podcast. It's B-O-K-E-H Boca podcast.com. And by the way, for all those of you who are like, Boca, that's not how you pronounce it. It is originally actually a Japanese word, boke. But if I were to go around saying, welcome to the boke podcast, um, I think I get some really weird looks and comments about me being pretentious or something. So we call it boka. But in Japan, you would be the biggest <laughs> podcast in all of the world. <laughs> that's true. In all of the world in Japan. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> They'd be like, finally, an American who pronounces this correctly. We must listen. Shall I leave you with a, with a Japanese um, a, a Japanese word or a Japanese phrase? Sure, absolutely. All right. So, um, actually, you know what? A little little trivia. Actually, I'll leave you with trivia. So, everybody says um, karaoke. Do you have any idea how you actually pronounce the word karaoke? Karateoke. Uh, no, not karaoke. quite. It was very, very close, but not quite. No, karaoke is actually pronounced karaoke. 
So that was my next guess. Wow. <laughs> yes, karaoke. So it, it's a Japanese word as well. But I hear that all you know, karaoke. We're going to go sing karaoke. I don't know how we ended up at karaoke, but it is actually karaoke. Another one, uh, you don't hear it as much, but uh, futon, uh, futon, you know, you're going to go mm-hmm. sit on a futon yeah. or sleep on a futon is just simply futon. Mm. That sounds more doesn't French. doesn't sound as good as uh, we're going to get nasty on this futon. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, but I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that might be college age who are like, oh, now when I go out to the bar, I'm like, hey, you want to come back? I got a futon. And uh, they can really play that up. But actually, for those of that are going to the bar, I've got a better one for you. And I'll, I'll end with this. So, you know, you hear, I think most people are pretty familiar with chin chin being Italian for cheers. Have you heard that phrase before? Mm-hmm. Have either of you been to Italy before? I'm getting mm-hmm. like mixed. Yeah. No? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never been to Italy, but I've heard the phrase. So, but you, you'll hear that chin chin is, is cheers in, in Italian, um, or something comparable in Japanese. That means penis. So <laughs> the next time that, the next time that you go, that you go cheers, uh, in Italy, uh, you can keep that in mind and try to keep a straight face or not. Yeah. <laughs> so on that, on that note, ching ching. <laughs> All right, Nathan, thank you so much again for coming on. I hope uh, everybody who listens to this podcast has an opportunity to go check out the Boca podcast if they have not already. And uh, send some love your way, my friend. 100%. Thank and you, And now, guys. everybody, the next time they're at the Olive Garden, we'll have a real good laugh. Because when you're here, you're family. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Penis family. Penis family. Chin chin. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Wedding Photo Hangover Podcast with your hosts, Dustin and Steve, and this week with Nathan as well. If you want to help us out, jump on iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a five-star review. If you want to connect, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Wedding Photo Hangover or on Twitter at Wedpick Hangover. Dustin is on Instagram at Dustin underscore Mc. Gibbon and Steven is at Steven Van Elk. If you want to get involved with the awesome community of listeners, join the Wedding Hangover Facebook group. But if you really want to warm our hearts, head on over to Stephen Dustin Save the otherwise known as patreon.com slash WPH, and you can sign up to support us for as little as one dollar a month. Or if you want to bump it up to that next level at the five dollar a month bump level. It up. We are creating extra episodes of the podcast that are just everyone's favorite part, just the Q&A. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Your head is pounding. Your limbs feel like dead weight and your entire being aches for the sweet embrace of death. That's right. Next Sunday after you shoot another wedding. Another wedding. Man, this feels a little disjointed because we recorded the interview earlier today. And now we're recording the outro Mm -hmm. much later in the day. Which means that mm-hmm. uh, I went from drinking coffee to drinking a great Indiana beer for a great Indiana man. That's right. It's me, Steve Van Elk. And I'm here to tell you that I'm drinking the Taxman Brewing Company Raspberry Ginger Exemption Ale. I just bought one of those. It's a Belgian-style triple ale with fruit and spices. Dustin, you did you really just buy some of these? Yeah, I sent you a picture. They're amazing, Dustin. They're very good. I bought them good. for Jen, and I might drink them all because they're very good. I bought them for you in, in, in the event that you would come visit me. In the event that I would come visit you. I might be up there. I might be up there this uh, this this weekend. 
What? No, not this weekend. Next weekend. Yeah. On Sunday. I thought you have a big family thing yeah, for Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. Uh, next weekend on Sunday, I might be up to take next Nora to the weekend. zoo. Indian. Mother's Day? Damn it. Is that Mother's Day next week? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, maybe not next weekend then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never see you. <laughs> That's okay. We we got to bring Nora up sometime soon. She really wants to go to the zoo. So, yeah, and then the following the following Sunday, we're in Indy shooting engagement sessions. No, that's even better. How about instead of us going to see you in Fort Wayne, you just come over to our house. You bring that bourbon and all those beers mm. with you when you come to my nope. house. Just leave them here. I'll, You've got I'll keep plenty them of bourbon and beer at your house. <laughs> You've got plenty of bourbon and beer at your house. Well, you don't right need me now. To I have plenty of bourbon and beer. By next week, I'm going to be all out, buddy. Oh, you'll need to stock up by Mother's Day. Yeah. No, we have a, an engagement session this Sunday in Indy. And we're like, oh, we'll go see Jen and Steve. But Jen and Steve do this big family thing for Cinco de Mayo. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe it'll rain. It'll get canceled. And then we'll have to reschedule. And, of course, like the one day that it's supposed to be nice, Sunday. Mm -hmm. So, figures. Just figures. Figures. I know. Cinco de Mayo. You got big plans? I'm excited. I have no plans other than shooting an engagement session. But I'm excited because tomorrow I'm going to see Revengers Buck game. Mm, oh, oh, you're going to see Rear Enders colon Enema game? That's the one. I'm so excited for Revengers get in the game, get in the shame, the shame game. Mm, Dustin, I'm disappointed. I really wanted to talk to you all about that in the after show this week. I guess that'll have to wait till next week. Yep. The old legendary Lengers in fame yep game yeah mm-hmm. that's the one that that is the one but i'm seeing it in the a.m tomorrow so we can always re-record the outro tomorrow not gonna happen i had to go see the i have to, I have to go see it in the morning because it's the only time i could get tickets where i didn't have to sit on the at the front row or on the sides the only tickets i could get because i i, I waited way too long was the front row, very front row in the upper right corner when I went with Ian. So we were, you know, looking up and to the left the entire time, but totally worth it. You know, three hours of crying. Oh man, felt so good. Mm, so good. Felt so, so good. It starts out on a sad note and it only gets sadder. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's the most I depressing movie ever. More than like Bambi. Yeah. Yeah, much more than Bambi. Um, like, if instead of there being, like, somebody's mom dying at the beginning, if instead of it was like, hey, remember how in the last one there was a snap at the end and a bunch of people disappeared? Well, we're picking up at the point of snap. <laughs> so, still people disappearing. Yay! Nice. That's my favorite part in the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, this, this movie really tugs at your heartstrings all the way through. So, Perfect. Yeah, I don't have one of those or strings. You're gonna so. grow one. It's gonna be amazing. Next week we're gonna come back on and we're gonna discuss the heart that grew up in your play and where nothing was before. The heart that like grew colon? out of your darkness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you went to see Rear Enders: Colon End Game, Enema Game. Damn it. And that's where they put the heart. And your butt. Awkward. Yeah. The old butt heart. All right. Well, Dustin, now that we got the butt hearts out of the way, um, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's time to go. 
Yeah, I hope uh, you had a good time to chat with Nathan. I know I did. I had a great time. He was a he was a great guest. He really motivated me. It was like talking to him was kind of like watching a very Gary Vaynerchuk video where the whole time I'm just like I could do so much more with my life. I could have energy. And then afterwards, it's very much like after a Gary Vaynerchuk video watching where I'm like, oh, but I I don't have energy. But some of these things they'll work. The consistency mm-hmm. thing. I'm gonna 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 do that. That's a good one. Just do a little yeah. bit every single day. As long as this podcast gets edited on time, I mean, you can do whatever you want, man. Thanks, boss. (laughs) All right, let's say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Is there anything you don't want to talk about? Anything that per se is maybe off limits or you, you know, is a no-go in the Nathan zone? No. Okay, perfect. We'll have fun. Talk about your time in porn. Perfect. All right. (laughs) Little do they know. Wedding Photo Hangover was edited this week by Steve Van Elk of Bespoke Tone. Go to Bespoke Tone for all of your photo, video, and audio editing needs. Woo-wee.